Welcome along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Nell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. It's a pleasure to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Dr. Victoria Harrington, Director of Knowledge at the Australian Institute of Police Management in Sydney. Vicky has spent a career in applied academic and neo-academic organisations across the UK and Australia, and is an active researcher in the field of criminology with a deep commitment to interdisciplinarity. Vicky, it's great to speak to you. Thank you very much for having me. So, you work in the area of police and, and police leadership. Perhaps if you could start by telling us, how does leadership in policing differ from leadership in other contexts? I think that's a, that's a really great question. And I think it's quite easy, particularly when you're inside policing, to think that you're special, that you know the leadership you do is completely different to leadership done anywhere else. Um, and I, I don't know that it necessarily is. It's very interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to go and do an executive MBA at Oxford because apparently I had far too much time on my hands. Um, and I found that when we were talking in class about the leadership challenges uh, facing other organisations, whether they were sort of startups through to multinationals, or if you're thinking about everything from big pharma to mining to automotive industry to food and beverage industries, really the challenges were faced, the leadership challenges we're facing are broadly similar. Um, it's about needing to be agile and, you know, in the face of the changes in your environment. It's about tackling those perennially difficult conversations within the organization it's about managing this you know um, constant disconnect seemingly between the senior executive and the front line squeezing the middle managers in the middle and um, and increasingly it's about learning through uh, complexity so it's like a wonderfully normalizing experience if you like i came away from that not thinking oh my god policing is a complete mess um, actually a lot of the leadership challenges we face in policing are very similar to the challenges that we face in all organisations. Um, but of course, they, you know, they'd be naive to say that there were no differences at all. You know, visibility of police leadership is perhaps one of the key ways it differs uh, from, you know, running a, a company somewhere else. Uh, although there's, there's probably a question mark around that as well. Um, and kind of the, the levels of external visible accountability that we have in policing, rightfully so, I should might have, is um, probably another way it differs. We're probably as uh, likely, if not maybe slightly more likely, to go through the sort of symbolism of uh, chopping off the head to fix the problem when it comes to facing challenges in our organisation. Um, but that's certainly one of the things that's writ large in policing. And it's interesting that you equate leadership in those different contexts in, in so many ways, because ultimately, I guess, leadership comes down to people and, and policing organisations are essentially made up of people. So you'd expect a degree of commonality. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about people, our entire the communities we work with or the you know, quote unquote, customers we serve. It's all about people um, in all their glorious complexity. Well, in, indeed. And if we build upon that, then what 
would you see and, and have you seen through your research as being the key attributes of an effective leader in policing? Is it the same as, as an effective leader in those other contexts? Is it just about rank, and which is obviously such a big thing in policing, or is it something different? I mean, the short answer is no, I don't think it's just about rank. Um, you know, and the, I think there's an increasing awareness across the leadership literature that of this notion of sort of shared leadership, if you like, where we recognise that our formal leaders don't have all the answers and, you know, the job of us, the job of them and the job of us in our organisations is to come together and help learn our way into new ways of being. So the role of the formal leader if in that context really is about managing the climate to enable you know, shared learning to progress, which on the one hand sounds a bit kind of, you know, um, kumbayari, but it's about, it's about managing a culture of creativity. It's about, uh, which itself is nested on this notion of psychological safety, um, which itself again is nested on this uh, being able to bring diversity, uh, all forms of diversity together. Um, so the role of the formal leader then in being effective is not really about being out the front it's um it's about managing the temperature as we try and learn through uh, complexities so because well, i think that's quite an interesting point to make as i reflect on the question you've asked about effectiveness because what is it we think we're measuring measuring when we talk about effectiveness and in whose eyes are we being effective is it about creating that climate where shared learning can happen and maybe the leader isn't walking away with the um the accolade or is it about being first over the top? Is it about being strong? Is it about ensuring that the existing rules are being followed? And maybe it's a bit of both, but when we talk about effectiveness, I think we have to be careful about what it is we're actually trying to achieve with leadership. It's an interesting point you make because effectiveness could, in some people's eyes, and I'm thinking here particularly about policing organisations, be about hitting targets and hitting numbers rather than necessarily developing that climate as as you referred to it there within the organisation, though presumably if that climate, the climate of learning and so on, that psychological safety is developed internally, then that should flow through to delivering better outcomes. Ideally, there should be a link, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it it depends upon the extent to which your KPIs reflect the really meaningful work that you do. And I think that's always been a bit of a question in policing, the extent to which the key KPIs policing, um, you know, manages itself along, whether that's levels of crime or, um, you know, levels of um, uh, conclusions of crime, levels of prosecution, whatever it might be, whether or not that really reflects the truly meaningful work that policing do. That police do and uh, particularly when we think that maybe 80% of what police do on a day-to-day -day basis are not related to crime they're related to aspects of vulnerability for example and whether that's dealing with someone who is uh, you know in a mental health crisis whether that's dealing with engaging with the community to help build community resilience those things are not easily measured and as such the extent to which they're truly captured in the existing KPIs uh, has always been problematic. So again, when we're thinking about, well, what are we looking at as our measure of success? What does success look like for policing? Um, and how that then tracks back to the sorts of leadership that we you know, either intendedly or unintendedly reward in our organisations. 
um, the extent to which that leadership is the sort of shared leadership that is ultimately effective in the long term because it ultimately positions the organisation to be able to better function in a complex environment. Um, I always think maybe those two aren't linked quite as effectively uh, as, as they might be. And I can understand that because if I just think of a an example person, their their key concern living with the community might be that the the public order issues in their neighbourhood are sorted, or that the um, the the, the neighbour who is engaging in some form of antisocial behaviour or whatever else it might be that might be their key focus as opposed to those other elements that you mentioned there. So I guess effectiveness is in the eye of the beholder, particularly when it comes to policing. Yeah. And so making sure that what we end up rewarding in organisations, either by measuring it or by um, lauding it in one way or another inside and outside of policing, it's making sure that those are inching us towards the right ends um, rather than maybe inadvertently creating, uh, you know, f- force it or, or encouraging diff- the wrong sorts of behaviour, whether that behaviour is a command and control approach to leadership or, uh, or a heavy-handed approach to public order, um, making sure that the way that we're measuring the work that we do is taking us in the right direction is such an important part of any conversation around effectiveness. What is it? What is the success that we're trying to aim for? And if we think back to some of those aspects you mentioned there in terms of shared leadership, you know, developing the climate, psychological safety, learning, those aspects which might be a little bit more intangible perhaps in some ways, how can they be developed within that context of policing? Are there specific things that can and, and indeed should be done? So I think... It maybe goes back to a little bit to the to the previous point around what is rewarded, because ultimately the way you the way you get better at something is through practice, right? So the extent to which throughout the organisation you are given opportunities to practice shared leadership, opportunities to practice engaging in creative collaboration with your peers and your supervisors, the extent to which that exists gives you an idea about the extent to which that skills those skills can be practiced and therefore the extent to which we become proficient at them. So I think when you think about how these things can be developed, it's all very well, you know, taking people out of the organization and popping them on a leadership development course and, you know, giving them a whole bunch of really good ideas about how to improve psychological safety, how to operate, um, you know, operate think their way through complexity. But then we put them back in the dirty fishbowl and um, you know, and it can be incredibly difficult to uh, affect any sort of change in one's own behaviour, let alone in the organisation's operating or the organisation's behaviour. So um, the extent to which we have an opportunity to develop those external to the organisation, I think, is limited, which to me... Uh, makes it so important that leadership development is done hand in glove with the organisation, whether that's through, um, you know, broader strategies, if you like, that have a clear place for leaders at various part of various parts in their various points in their career, 
whether they're as they're going through the pipeline and that speaks to an overarching um you know some overarching values about what's important what type of leadership is important or whether or not that speaks to um, looking at our systems of rewards and incentives both formal and informal within the organization and then mapping that back across to the sorts of leadership that you're hoping to elicit from people who you send on development programs so um, there's a there's a there's a there's a lot of different ways or techniques that we can use in the leadership development world to you know encourage people to engage in you know creative conversations and um, but actually the reality of whether or not that becomes effective rests on the extent to which that can be taken meaningfully back into the organisation and that itself I think means that the organisation is an integral part of any development process. Yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. If we perhaps move on from that, in terms of policing, you've previously spoken and, and written of the, the concept of positive deviance. Could you possibly explain what that is? What is positive deviance? Well, I think in a, in a, in a nutshell, it's about looking for things that are bucking the trend. Um, and instead of looking for reasons why uh, something is failing, you're looking in the same context for reasons why there are um, people or situations or, or 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 environments that are that are bucking the trend. So, it comes out of the thinking from Richard Pascal and uh, some collaborators of his, Jerry and Monique Sternin, who talk about this transformative pay power of or understanding positive deviance because it enables you to better understand what's really going on in the organisation and the social systems and therefore how you can leverage this positive deviance for um, the benefit of aspects of the environment which, which are failing. So taking for, um, they took, for example, malnutrition in rural communities in, I think it was a part of Pakistan. And instead of saying, okay, well, there's 70% of, you know, young children in this environment are malnourished, what on earth are we going to do about it? Which had been the approach that everybody else had taken to that point. They said, well, it's kind of interesting because it means that 30% are not malnourished. And so what are they doing that means in this same environment they are not malnourished? And, you know, after a, take this wonderful approach, which is a very sort of grassroots, ground, from the ground up, sort of strength-based um, and appreciative inquiry approach, to puzzle out that the reason 30% were not malnourished was because they were, I don't know, mixing grass clippings or some kind of weed in with their broth. And therefore that was meant that their children uh, were getting sufficient level, levels of uh, nutrients um, and were ultimately better off. So it's that kind of approach where, okay, well, hang on, we've got a system here that's failing potentially, or where there's a large degree of failure. Um, instead of focusing on that, where can we fo focus on where where the trend is being bucked and what can that tell us about the potential solutions moving forward? And I think one of the really nice things about it, and they talk about this in their book, is that because you're starting with stuff that's already happening, what you're not doing is you know, bringing in an alien idea into an environment. You're starting with something that's already existing in that context 
and then you're growing from that so you're growing from 30 percent of people mixing in you know weeds and grass clippings into their broth to okay well let's let's increase the let's look at why other people aren't doing that that's interesting or maybe there's some stuff around perceptions of um, whether or not that's a, a poor way of a, a poor person's food um and then let's try and address those issues and then let's try and get more people to do it so it's a real i think it's a really nice appreciative approach to dealing with um dealing with our, our challenges organizationally or policing and so how then can it apply in, in a policing sense is it about the behaviors and the activities of people within the policing organizations themselves or is it perhaps more about the communities that the police organisations are serving? I, I think it's probably both. I think within the organisation, I mean, the police are the master of the workaround, I think. So, you know, and in fact, anyone working in a bureaucracy learns pretty early on that in order to survive, oftentimes you need to find some pretty good workarounds. So it's instead of looking at those workarounds with a, you know, a rather... Um, grumpy eye and thinking oh my goodness why can't they just do it the way it's been asked actually maybe let's take an appreciative approach to that are they able to achieve something that way that um you know is not being achieved by the system itself and what can that tell us about the system so from a leadership perspective my i would contend that actually if you can bring that appreciative eye to aspects of your organization that are um, doing things differently then maybe we learn something along the way and similarly in our communities, right? So if we've got communities where, you know, uh, truancy, for example, is a huge problem, or um, I don't know, uh, substance use, or, you know, pick your social ill of choice, instead of focusing on, well, how do we fix that, which is a natural problem-solving so lens that police are so absolutely brilliant at being able to do, they bring a problem-solving lens to all of this stuff. It's instead of looking at, well, let's look at where it's actually not a problem uh, in this same context. And what can that tell us about the ways in which we can better serve this community instead of, you know, you know parachuting in some externally devised um, intervention, which may last for a while, but then may drop off when, you know, the intervention's not being held in place anymore by external forces. Instead of doing that, maybe just look at where it's already bucking the trend internally. And again, you know, our police who are working on the ground with communities will absolutely have this information at their fingertips. This is not anything that they're, it's, it's not new to policing, but being able to leverage it, to think about it in terms of it's a long-term strategy or being able to think of ways in which you can take from you know these small examples and spread without just cutting and pasting but spread to those larger those larger contexts um, that's what i think positive deviance or examining positive deviance can mean for policing it makes a huge amount of sense in focusing on 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 the the, the positive things so focusing on the, the good behaviors i guess or focusing on what's working and and, and learning and, and developing from that and and in terms of that if we think about the last 18 or so months, how has COVID impacted on, on leadership in policing? And, and, and have there been any of these sort of 
areas or these pockets of positive deviance coming through that are, are worth reflecting on. Yeah, and I think in many ways, in my world, the jury's still a little bit out. And I think, but I think it's it's a good point that you make, and we need to keep an eye on, you know, what we've managed to turf out of the <laughs> turf out of the processes in the in the um, in the spirit of expedience and being able to see where those were good decisions and maybe also where those were less good decisions. And I think there's stuff emerging which will, um, you know, puts more meat on the bones of that in the, probably in the course of the next uh, 18 months as well. And, you know, I suspect there are many academics who will have uh, decade long careers unpacking the code, the policing of coronavirus across the world and, and good luck to them. I look forward to reading it. But for me, there's a, there's a bit that goes back to the point I've made a couple of times already, so I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record. It's about what is rewarded and looking at how things, which behaviours have become rewarded during the coronavirus period. And in our world, what we're seeing is that there is this kind of the, the, the being able to work, you know, 18 hours a day. It's being able to deliver you know, on a turn. It's being able to um, get stuff done almost no matter what. And so that for me, there's a few flags that go up and policing as a profession, particularly over the last 10 years and expressly over the last five years, has done a lot of work to try and become more attractive to diverse members. So whether those people are diverse by virtue of their demographics, women, people from minority ethnic backgrounds, or whether they're, you know, neurodiverse, or whether they have a diversity of, um, you know, calls upon their time outside of the workplace, parents, people looking after, um, wanting to, preferring to work part-time, people nearing retirement, etc., etc. So an awful lot of work has been done to kind of try and build a much more diverse workforce and then overlay that coronavirus and the sorts of rewarded behaviours, the monster hours I was talking about, the being able to turn on the hairpin, the being able to deliver no matter what. And, it just, you know, you don't need to be too bright to work out that the rewarded behaviours maybe don't match up with the diversity of the workforce in, that we have spent some time investing in. So what I worry about is this hyper-masculinisation of the workforce the thing that's been rewarded and the thing that will be promoted is perhaps the thing that we have worked so hard to get away from in the last five years. Um, so I think that will be something that we need to watch from a leadership perspective moving forward. And we often hear leaders in our world talk about it's going to take almost a generation to get back to leadership as we've known it, because the kind of leadership that we've had to use during the coronavirus period um, has in some jurisdictions disconnected us from communities. In some jurisdictions, it has um, engaged our wonderful can-do attitude, but maybe at the expense of our collaboration and partnership working. Ironically, given that, of course, this the whole policing of coronavirus is squarely at the nexus between law enforcement and public health. So I think those it'd be interesting to see how what comes out in the wash. Um, whether or not policing bounces back, springs back to to the trajectory it was on before, or whether the trajectory has been forever altered. Uh, 
And in terms of that trajectory being altered, obviously, you know, one of the big things that has happened over the last 18 months during the, the, the COVID period, if we can call it that, has been the, the move to more virtual engagement, uh, virtual learning, virtual development, etc. Has that also formed a part of leadership development within policing? And, and if so, how effective has that been, given that very hands-on nature of much of the policing role? So, I'm, yeah, I think it's had a huge impact. And so I work at the Australian Institute uh, of Police Management. And so our role really as a National Common Police Service is to do leadership development. So we deliver programmes, right? So our role is educa the education and, and development of uh, police leaders, usually from inspector through to deputy commissioner. So coronavirus and particularly the most recent lockdown in Australia has absolutely put a kibosh on any ability of us to deliver programs face to face. So we've had to pivot to the, the online world. And, you know, like everybody else, 18 months ago, that was pretty clunky. <laughs> we went, we've been through a couple of different platforms. We've been through a couple of different formats. Um, we've shifted curriculum. We've shifted uh, the, the way in which we Lego brick together. The, the sorts of things that we try and do in our programs and and we really realized that actually there's a there's a bunch of stuff that's important at the curriculum level but there's a bunch of stuff that's important at the sort of sub-curriculum level the embedded value of a program where you bring people together it's the building of the social capital it's the building of the professional networks and then trying to replicate or at least mimic in some small way an ability to be able to do that in the online world has been a real learning curve for us but ultimately, I would say, so having having been through that process of the last um, eighteen months, two years or so, you know the 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 value of um, virtual leadership development is huge in my mind. On the one hand, you we're seeing um, improved access, so people whose commissioners might not have paid to stick them on a plane, fly them to Sydney, and you know let them spend two weeks at a leadership development course, well, they're able to do that from the comfort of their office. And that in itself can be quite interesting because, you know, you are living in your 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 laboratory. You know, you can be in a leadership development session and then you can turn around, open your office door and you can see the organisational system right in front of your eyes. So this ability to connect theory and practice, to, to connect what we're learning in leadership development and then what we're experiencing in our organizational systems has become much closer. And I think that's a huge, of huge value for leadership development and something we're certainly seeing reflected in the feedback that we get on our programs. And the networking is good too. So yes, you can come to the AIPM and you can sit on the harbor of Sydney's Harbour, around a fire pit with a beer, and you can, you know, have a conversation with someone from, you know, a different jurisdiction, and that's great. And you build a deep friendship, a deep network, and those networks pay dividends operationally. Um, you know, that's one of the very important reasons that they're invested in at the AIPM. But our networks can be global now, right? So we have this great opportunity in the virtual world, not to think small, but to think much bigger. And so what we're seeing is the development of a global strategy. We're seeing the development of an ability to connect people from around the world, to build those professional networks around the world. And those are ever more important as we recognize that the sorts of 
global problems that we're facing now, be it coronavirus, be it, you know, um, uh, technological advancements that outpace, outpace governance, be it climate change, you know, pick your, your global catastrophe of choice, if you like. Um, but those global problems require global solutions. So at a very real level, we are, we are, we need to be building global networks between police because at the end of the day, the sorts of problems we're dealing with are global problems. Okay, interesting. So, so some real impacts, some real uh, benefits as well, and some real positives. So I guess to, to draw things together, you know, for anyone working either in policing or, or, or with police organizations, and regardless of the level as a, as a leader or someone focusing perhaps more on the development of leaders, what key steps can be taken to to better support the, the development of of what could be called effective leaders in policing are there any really straightforward things that you would highlight so i think um and maybe this is more of it at a strategic level thinking about leadership development as not just developing the individual uh, but thinking about it as developing the organization as well so that goes back to that you know, clean fishbowl, dirty fishbowl kind of um, uh, metaphor I used earlier. It's great. You can send people off to a leadership development course, but frankly, they go back into the dirty fishbowl at the end. So, you know, to what extent does that actually have the your intended impact? So I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle. I also think it's really important to recognise that the sorts of problems we're dealing with are require shared leadership. And so therefore, the sorts of skills you're looking at at the leadership level um, have to be around how you create those cultures of um, creative collaboration, psychological safety, um, and an ability to feel as if it's okay as a leader to not have all the answers. That's a really important piece of personal learning that leaders have to go through, bearing in mind that most have been rewarded for having all the answers, and that's why they're at senior levels of the organisation. Being able to have the comfort and the ability and the humility to be able to step back from that and say, I don't have all the answers. And my role now is to create an environment where collectively we can learn what those answers might be together. So I think those are two really important things to do. A third really important thing at strategic level, I think, to, to focus on is recognise that leadership development is also a vehicle for building social capital. And again, that's been written large for us at AIPM as we've come through, um, we've had to pivot into the online world, recognising that the sorts of things that are implicit about leadership development, the sitting around the fire pit, having a beer, you know, making friends, actually are re a really important part of leadership development. They're not just a nice to have, that's not just the kind of added extra, they're actually vital to leadership development because what you're doing through that is you're creating the social capital across the system that enables you to be able to affect the sorts of leadership that you need to be able to do to deal with complex global problems. Vicky Harrington, Director of Knowledge at the Australian Institute of Police Management. Many thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. dream sequence by Lorenzo's music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license.